Yeah, we, uh, we had the question put to us, um, why, why is it so hard for us to have close relationships? Why are friendships, at least life-giving friendships, energizing friendships, why are they so difficult? Why do we have a difficult time having strong relationships? I want to I explore that this morning, and hopefully uh, you will think about your own your own life, your own situation. Uh, the temptation is always to think about other people, to think, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this, this is what, exactly what they need to hear. Uh, don't do that today. Think about yourself. Think about what you need to do to change. Think, think of what you need to do to be, to be a better believer, a better Christian, a better person. Um, so here's, a, here's what we do know about ourselves. We, we do know that, that all of us like to be thought of. We like to be remembered we like it when people remember our birthdays, our anniversaries, uh, special events. We like them, if we invite them to come to our wedding, we hope they'll come to our wedding. Um, we, we want people to think well of us. Uh, we want to be invited out for coffee. We want to be invited with the gang. We don't want to be left out. If there's a barbecue, we want it to be remembered. We want to be part of that barbecue. We really want to be part of what's going on. We don't want to be left out. Uh, we all like to get a phone call now and again to say how you're doing. We like to get a text or an email, something, something that says that we're not forgotten. Because the fact of the matter is, is that every one of us is afraid of loneliness. And every one of us does not want to be lonely. So how and what can we do to make sure that we enjoy the fulfillment that comes from relationships. Now, we all know here at Cross Church, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that we're all about relationship. We believe with all our heart that the, the, the basis, the foundation of Christianity is all about loving God and loving each other. And we know that because, in fact, Jesus actually said that. Jesus said the greatest command is to love God and to love each other. So we recognize here that relationships are everything. And here's how we know whether you've got a successful life or not. It's that you've got great relationships. If you don't have great relationships, if you don't have any friends, if the, 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 the relationships that you do have are kind of broken, then you're in a mess, frankly. And I'm not judging or condemning you here today, but what I am saying is you've come to the right place because I can help you. I can help you go to a place where there will be happiness, where there will be fulfillment, where, where there will be joy. And... Uh, I guess the question is, is, are you going to go there? Are you willing to learn, to embrace, to accept what it is that you need to do in order to become a better person? And uh, uh, before we go any further, i got to say this. Uh, because some of you might think, you know, I don't need friends. I'm, I'm, I make a good hermit. Uh, whether you make a good hermit or not is, to be, is, you know, it's up for debate. But I can tell you this is if a person is a hermit, if they are alone, it's by their choice. It's because of the way, the choices that they've made because of the decisions they've made. So I want to help you have great relationships. I want to help you have a great relationship with your spouse, uh, with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, a great relationship with your children, with your neighbors, or the people you work with. And I'm going to tell you how in just a moment. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the words of King Solomon some of you may know that he was the wisest man that ever lived. And here's what he said about relationships. And we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting at verse 9. And this is what he says. 
He says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. So there's the first benefit to having good relationships, is that you help each other succeed. You help each other do well. You help each other so that your life turns out right. I don't know about you, but that's enough of a reason for me to have a great relationship. Secondly, verse 10, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Has anybody experienced that? Down in the dumps, you've got no one to pull you out. Well, Solomon says the only way that you're going to find yourself helped out of that dark situation is if you are in close relationship. And then we read on, verse 11. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? It can't be done. We need each other. So there's a third good reason to have close relationships to keep you warm. And then verse 12 we read, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. It's where we get the expression, I've got your back. We can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And so the fourth reason why we need to have close relationships and and solid good friendships is so that we can defend each other, that we can protect one another. Four excellent reasons why we need to be in great relationships. Now, um, the fact of the matter is, is that we are not always enjoying these benefits of relationship. In fact, some of you may be here today thinking, man, I sure wish I had that. I sure wish I had someone to, 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 who had my back. I sure had somebody who could come into my life to help me be successful and to, and to figure this life out and to get it right. I wish I had somebody to help me get my, my marriage right or my family, my, my relationship with my kids. I wish I could get that right. Well, he, I'm telling you today, there is a way to do this, and that's what I want to share with you. So here's what I want to do this morning. First of all, I want to talk to you about the benefits, these great benefits of great relationships, and then I want to talk to you about the cost involved and making that a reality in your life. So let's take a look at that. Um, the, the, the benefit of great friendships. Now, have you ever noticed that if you ever have a salesman try to sell you something, the very first thing they do is they tell you what? They don't tell you the price, right? You'll, and that's, with my personality, when I have a salesman trying to sell me something, I, I, I don't want to hear the benefits first, I want to hear the price first. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They'll try to sell me something. I'll say, no, 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 just tell me what the price is first. And no, 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 let me tell you about the benefits first. Why, why are they doing that? Well, they're trying, to, they're trying to show me that the cost is worth it. That's right. Has anybody ever had someone try to sell them a timeshare? Anybody? Yeah, it's a few people. Yeah, it's tell you. They won't tell you the price, but they shall tell you the great benefits of it. Uh, has anybody ever been, uh, had a vacuum salesman come to the door to sell a vacuum? Okay, well, this happened to me. Uh, I want to hear about it. It's actually quite, quite interesting. Uh, I was a, a youth pastor. I was making $900 a month. And um, I had somebody in our youth group, her name is Tia, who uh, decided she was going to earn her money during the summer months by selling Kirby vacuums. Anybody ever heard of a Kirby vacuum? How many know that that is the Cadillac of vacuums? It's, it's the Hummer. It's the, uh, uh, it's the, por- the Lamborghini of, of vacuum cleaners. So anyway, I say to her, before she even begins her spiel, because um, I'm a pastor now, right, and I have to do this for my parishioners. I have to let them sell me stuff, right, because that comes with a job. <laughs> 
And so she sits down to start telling me about it. And I say, well, first, why don't you just tell me the cost? She says, oh, no, I can't do that. It says here that I have to tell you about the vacuum first. And I said, what do you mean it says there? She says, well, she says, well actually, Pastor, you're the guinea pig. You're the first one I'm, I'm making a pitch to. Okay. All right. So she, she begins her pitch, starts telling me what, uh, what everything's going to cost, uh, what, what, what the vacuum cleaner does. And uh, she, tells, she shows me these pictures of all the bugs that are in my bed. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but your bed is full of bugs. They're ugly bugs, and apparently quite a few different types. And according to her, there were actually millions of them. And what I wanted to know is how she got those pictures <laughs> of those bugs in my bed. <laughs> and they're ugly-looking things, and I tell you, that scares the wits out of anybody. She says, you know, with a Kirby vacuum, you can remove all of that. And then she went on to say, let me show you what's in your carpet. And I said, no, thank you. <laughs> and she's got this, this neat little contraption here, which is like a glass cylinder hooked up to the carpet, so she could actually show you what's coming out of her carpet, out of your carpet. And so she, then she proceeded to show me how much filth was in my carpet. And uh, I said to her, well, why don't you do the whole thing now? <laughs> this is wonderful. <laughs> uh, she, uh, she went on to tell me that... Um, uh, that that there's all kinds of things that this vacuum can do. It can vacuum your couch and your chair. Does anybody ever vacuum your couch or chair? I mean, it sounds good at the time, doesn't it? There's a few OCD people that will do the furniture, right? And there's attachments with this Kirby that will do the cracks in your furniture. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Never done it in my life, but I bought it because it had that attachment, right? And the drapes and the walls and the linoleum, it'll suck up stuff you just couldn't even imagine. And it's just, there it is. So she says, uh, okay, will you buy it now? And so what am I supposed to say, you know, after, after two hours of hearing all about it and vacuuming some of my carpet, I said, sure, I'll buy, you, buy a vacuum for you. But if the thing is this, Tia, is that I, can't, I don't have that kind of money up front. I don't have, I think it was up almost 1500 bucks. She said, that's okay, we could do it in easy payments, which will last for five years. Folks, I bought a vacuum cleaner that was worth more than my car. This was an amazing vacuum, but it was worth more than my car, and, uh, uh, and payments went on for a long time. I, I was that vacuum cost more than what I made in a whole month. In fact, it would take a couple months to pay that off at that time. So just to give you an idea, she pitched the benefits before the cost. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm kind of doing the same thing for you this morning, because the cost of great friendships is actually quite big. It's quite large. It's not easy, but I can tell you that the benefits are, are out of this world. It's fantastic benefits, so let's talk about that for a moment. Solomon makes clear that we need each other, and here's why. First of all, and we've said this already, because two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. We need each other so that we can succeed. Has anybody... Ever heard me talk about Sergio Bersaglio? He's actually the director for all the villages of hope in Africa. Uh, that was what we went to last year when we went to Kitwe. It was a village of hope in Kitwe. And we have helped Sergio over the years, raised funds for his ministry all these years. 
And um, I wanted to just talk to him a little bit about, about our church and our involvement in the Village of Hope and about our, our involvement in the Burundi Village of Hope, which Dennis, as you, we just, you just saw him here, he's the one that's responsible for getting that one going. And, and, and he said to me, Alan, I want to just say this to you. I want to say thank you for your partnership with us. I want to say thank you for being our friend. You are a true friend, Alan. You have, your church has, has faithfully supported the Village of Hope all these years, ever since our friendship began. And I want to say thank you for that. I want to say thank you for supporting Dennis Weeb and in, in what he's doing with the Village of Hope in Burundi. Um, I want to say thank you that you care about us. And here's what I said back to Sergio. Sergio, I want to tell you, it is a great joy and a blessing for me personally to be doing this. I'm, I'm honored that you call me your friend. But I want to tell you, Sergio, this is a two-way street. Because in blessing you, in being your friend, in raising the thousands, the tens of thousands of dollars that we have for the Village of Hope in Africa, our church has been blessed far more. In fact, if you come to the meeting next Sunday, you're going to find out just how much this church has been blessed because of the investment that we made in the Village of Hope. What I'm saying to you this morning is that friendship is a two-way street. My experience has been this, is that I get out far more than, than I put in. We call this the principle of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. I'll talk about that more in just a moment. But think about this today. When you make up your mind to bless others, to help others succeed, folks, that's when you succeed. But if you are jealous of the success of others, if you are stingy with praise, if you refuse to share good ideas to help other people succeed, then guess what's going to happen to you? The same is going to happen to you. You are going to shrivel up and die. You will not have the success in your life that you want for yourself if you don't help others succeed. Folks, this is not Alan Duncalf's opinion. This comes from the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon says that we need to help each other succeed. That's what excellent friendship does. That's the first benefit of friendship. The second benefit of friendship is very simple. If, another one, if one person falls, the other one can reach out and help. I had an interesting call about six years ago I was going through a real uh, dark time, uh, dark in the sense that I was discouraged. I was probably worn out and tired. Uh, I was wondering if my effort here was getting anywhere, if we were really accomplishing anything. Um, we had some good victories, but it just felt like, oh, man, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. And I got a call from a church asking if I'd be willing to, to take up a call in B.C. Uh, my dad will be interested to hear that since he's their part of the year. See, if I moved to BC, Dad, then you'd never have to come here, right? Don't tell my sister I said that. I was, I was really struggling, and I was in prayer, and I was saying, God, I just feel like, I don't know, if, if all the hard work, all the effort, everything that I pour in, everything that I invest into this place and the people that I'm working with, I don't know if it's really doing anything. And then all of a sudden, my phone rings. And it's this, this, some, this person with a very thick accent on the other end of the line. And I, I had to think for a minute. That's a familiar accent. Then all of a sudden I realized that it was a Hutterite accent. Anybody know any Hutterites? Uh, 
I don't know many. I only know a few. And, and this guy was one of the few that I knew. He says, do you remember me? I'm, this is Steve, Steve Hofer. I said, yes, yes, Steve, I do remember you. I said, how'd you get my number? Where are you? What are you doing? <laughs> What's happening? He said, well, I'm, I'm doing really well, and this is the reason I called you. Do you remember back when you were in Carberry? Now, this, this is back in the, in the mid to early eight, or later 80s. He said, do you remember when I came to you in Carberry? I'd been kicked out of the colony because I'd gotten my girlfriend pregnant. And he said, I, I, was, I, I felt so bad about myself. I felt, I felt so condemned and so judged. I felt like I was an utter failure. I, I, felt like, I felt so useless and so worthless. He said, and then someone told me to go to you, to talk to you, the Pentecostal pastor. Imagine that, a hutterate coming to a Pentecostal pastor. And uh, he said, you, you didn't judge me. You didn't condemn me. You didn't scold me. You didn't lecture me. You didn't put me down. You didn't speak ill of me. In fact, you embraced me. And you told me that you cared about me. And, and you said, more importantly, even than, than me caring about him, is that God cared. And that God had not forsaken him. God loved him. Do you remember Pastor Allen? sitting at your kitchen table when you led me to the Lord. I became a Christian that day in your kitchen. Uh, and I'm, I'm speechless. I'm, I'm just listening. This is amazing, this story. And then he said, I, I got my, my life together. And I said, yeah, because you all of a sudden disappeared from Carberry. I had no idea where you are, where you were. And I said, I had no idea how to reach you again. He says, well, my wife and I were just praying. You remember Melinda, my girlfriend? I said, yeah, of course I remember her. He said, well, we were just praying. And as we were praying, God spoke to our hearts and reminded us of what you did for us. And God told us to phone you and say thank you. Now, folks, can I ask you a question here this morning? Do you really think that was a coincidence that I got a phone call right at that moment, at that hour, saying thank you for the investment you made in our lives. After I got off the phone, I said, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that in my hour of darkness, that hour when I was feeling down, when I was on, on my back feeling hopeless, you brought someone back to me that I had helped when he was on his back and when he was down. I can tell you something spiritual happened that day in my life. I knew that I knew that I knew that God was speaking to me. I knew that God was reminding me that no investment in the lives of others is ever a waste of time. What about you? Have you been investing in people's lives and maybe your kids' lives and you just wonder, these, these wretched kids of mine, they never say thank you. They don't appreciate anything. I'm just a doormat. Anybody here ever feel like that, your kids? I'm just, their, I'm just their servant. They don't care about me. Listen to me. Listen, listen. God has given you a job to do as a parent. Don't stop investing in your kids. Don't stop loving them. Just because they turn 18 doesn't mean you stop loving them and reaching out to them. If anything, at the time that they turn 18, you should be stepping it up. You should, make, you should be going out of your way to bless your kids.
I had someone say to me recently, man, I don't know. I don't know how you, how you handle kids. Once they turn into ter- terrible teens, it's all over, right? You just, you, it's just not going to work. Uh, you're, you, know, you just got to live with them being crazy, being nutso. Some people think that when, when kids turn, you know, enter the adolescence, when they hit puberty, they go retarded for a few years. Listen, you know what? The fact of the matter is, is that we all go through crazy times in our lives at different points. But it doesn't have to mean that your relationship with your kids is put on hold until they get through this terrible dark time. Here's what you need to do. You need to do what Solomon says. And the wisdom of Solomon is fantastic. What you need to do is is what we read in, in verse 11. Likewise, two people lying close to each other, lying close to each other, can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Well, okay, now I'm not telling you to go home and lay down beside your kids. That'll freak them right out. <laughs> Don't do that. What they need, however, what they need is they, and this is what this is what Solomon's clearly implying, is they need the warmth of a, of a close relationship. Parent, listen to me. This, and this, I've been doing this for 30 years, counseling and helping. Listen to me. This is what I do know. Is that so many parents, when their kids hit puberty, they, they start to look different. They start to grow hair on their face, on their legs. They, they, their voice changes. They look different. And then all of a sudden, it's like, who are these people in my house? In their mind, they're exactly the same people. But in your mind, they're little adults. And so you start treating them differently. Listen to me. They need to be loved exactly the way they needed to be loved when they were three and four. Do you understand that? It doesn't change. They need your love. They need your warmth. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you this, and this is right from Solomon. You be loving and warm towards your kids, and you're going to get that back. It'll come right back to you. What your kids need is they need you to love them. They need you to talk to them. I have people say all the time, oh, no, when kids hit teenage years, it's all, it's all over until they turn 21, then maybe you can talk to them again. It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to me. Talk to your kids. As Solomon says, maintain the intimacy in your relationship with all the people in your life, whether it's your kids or your spouse or any friend. You're maintaining an intimacy that creates a warmth and a sense of peace in your heart. But you've got to maintain it. Now, I know in this church, most people know I'm a hugger. I go around hugging everybody. And there's some people that aren't comfortable with that. And as soon as they see me coming, boy, you just, it's kind of comical. You just watch them take off in the other direction. Here comes the hugger. Get away from him quick. Listen, we're about relationship here. And if I'm giving you a hug, it's not because I want your body, okay? <laughs> it's, it's crazy the way we think. You know what the New Testament, one of the New Testament epistles that says, and, and, and make sure you greet each other with a holy kiss. Aren't you glad we don't do that here? <laughs> we don't go around kissing each other here. But we do shake each other's hand. And for those who are a little bit more bold, we give each other a hug. Listen to me. Intimacy is what our hearts crave. And if you're having a hard time with that, then there's probably some kind of issue in your past that you need to deal with. And you need to get over it. And I'm going to tell you why. Because being created in the image of God means that you are created for intimacy, for love. 
And love, folks, is what brings you joy. It's what brings you happiness. It's what brings you peace. And by the way, that's what your kids need. Your, your kids are so, so longing to be loved. And they may make faces when you give them a hug, but they need you to hug them. They really do. And then I go, oh, make, have you, anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh. It's like, oh. And then there's Nicholas, who chases me down, put me in a bear hug, wrestle me to the ground, knock me over. It's like being with a great big St. Bernard. (laughs) 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 On the ground again. (laughs) Get off me, Nick. Okay, this doesn't happen by accident. It happens by design. Solomon says, two people lying lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? So here's what God wants for you to do. He wants you to maintain your relationships. He wants you to stay close to each other. And that's one of the benefits. I was a, a life, a training to be a lifeguard. And one of the things we learned is that if a person was suffering with hypothermia, you lay down, lie down beside that person, skin to skin, to, so that the heat from your body can transfer to their body. That's a fantastic spiritual metaphor. You need to get close to people because you getting close to people generates an energy, a warmth, a love that will satisfy not just them, but will satisfy you as well. And I know for some that may seem really strange. You may say, well, I'm not that kind of a person. Oh, yeah, you are. If you don't understand that, if you don't recognize it in yourself, well, then there's there's some, you you probably need a little bit of therapy. The fourth thing that Solomon tells us is that we are there to help defend each other. I, I want to mention to you one of my elders. His name is Richard Newman. Some of you know him. But here's a guy from day one, when he first came onto the board, he was the man who defended the vision of this church. And some people didn't understand what we were doing, where we were going, why we did the things, we, why are the lights down low, why, why do we have drums, and why do we have this, and why are we doing it like that, and how come we're not doing it the other way? And, and I know in my old church it was like this, and my other church, I did it like that. And Richard would just quietly move in there and defend the vision of the church and, and in so doing would defend me. And if anybody was going to talk about me behind my back, Richard would set them straight. He would calm them all down and sort it all out. Anybody, how many know that sometimes gossip happens? How many know that sometimes happens in the church? I got so quiet there for a minute here. <laughs> how, many, how many know that sometimes people talk about the pastor? All those who talk about the pastor, put up your hands. No, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> Richard, Richard would be there to defend me. He's got, he had, he'd have my back. And I'd always know that he'd be there to help me, to, to, to stand up for me, and stand up for the greater cause. So here's the thing. If anybody here has a problem with me, I'll just go talk to Richard. He'll sort you all out. <laughs> Take you out beside, behind the woodshed and... No, I'm just kidding. Listen, friendship is an investment with with an amazing payoff. You need to invest in the people in your lives. You need to take the time to help those in need, to help those who are struggling, help them get back on their feet. You need to take the time to get intimate with people, to get close to them, to allow them into your life. It's risky, I know. It's scary, I know, but you need to do it anyway. Anyway. 
You need to be there to, to defend those who are not there to defend themselves. Maybe someone ticks you off, and man, you're just ready to jump right in and add to the gossip, add to the backstabbing, you know. This is a back, backstabbing feast. Don't do it. Be the one who defends the honor, the character of the one who's not there to defend himself. You need to be there to help others succeed. Don't get jealous. Don't be envious. Be there to help them stand on their own two feet. Now, that's the benefit of great relationships. Now, I want to tell you really quickly in the time left to me, I'm going to talk to you about the costs involved in this. So here's what I know. Has anybody heard, ever heard the expression, you get what you pay for? Like, I know that from my first car. <laughs> you really do get what you pay for. You know what the neat thing about this is, is that I had that car, and I really ran it hard for the ministry. And then we had a car salesman in our, in our church, um, who said to me, Alan, don't you think it's time that you got a new car? And I said, I can't afford it. He said, I can help you get, get your new car. And it's probably the only time I've ever seen real poetic justice when it comes to uh, car dealerships. I, I traded my car in, and the salesman told me one week later, later the engine blew on it. The whole engine had to be repaired. And he thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever seen in his life. <laughs> You get what you pay for. Guess what? This is called the principle of sowing and reaping. And so it is in your relationships. If you want to have great relationships, if you want to have great friendships, then it costs something. You need to make an investment. You need to put something into it. You can't be all take, take, take. Does anybody know people like that? Don't, don't mention names, please. But you know what I'm talking about. These are the kind of people that are always taking and taking and taking, and they never give. They never share. It's always, what, do, what can I get out of you? Can I just remind everybody that this is not a two-way street? These people are not thinking like that. They're not thinking about what can I give. They're thinking about what can I get? What can I take? Now, I'm going to just share something very personal with everybody here today. I'm going to share with you the biggest struggle that I have in ministry. I've been pastoring now for almost 30 years, and this is a massive, massive struggle for me. And it's dealing with people who always want to take but never want to give. These are the ones that want you to be there to do their weddings, to do their funerals, to be there for their anniversary celebrations. They want to use the church for free when it's their time to have a, a baby shower. They want baby showers. They want wedding showers. Uh, they want free counseling. They want all the benefits of the church, but they never want to contribute in any way. They won't give a nickel to the cause. And when I ask them to come to a fundraising banquet, no way, the tickets cost too much. Listen, does anybody know what it costs to go to a counselor, to a professional counselor? They don't call me a professional counselor. They call me a pastor. But frankly, I'm going to just tell everybody, I'm probably way better than most. <laughs> I can tell you that because I get a lot of people who go to the professional, professional counselors and they come to the pastor and they tell me what goes on. I say, what a waste of money that was. And then they come for free. And I have no problem with that. If if they are contributing to the life of the church. Now, some people think, oh, you know, the church is all about money, getting money. And it's not. It's not. It's about making this world a better place. And that includes you. It's making, helping to make your life a better life, a better family, better marriage, better friendships. There's some people who just take and take and take. And then they wonder why. They wonder why. 
nobody wants to be their friend. They wonder why nobody wants to hang out with them. They wonder why they never get invited out for coffee. They wonder why they never get invited to a small group. These are the ones who are going to say, boy, this church is sure a cold church. They don't really care about me. It's like, that's, you got it all wrong. Because this church is one of the friendliest and warmest churches I have ever been in my life. If you're feeling cold and lonely, it's because you're not making any investments. It's like the, the child who puts a quarter in the gumball machine, turns the knob, nothing comes out, puts in another quarter, nothing comes out. That's what some people are like. You keep putting the quarters in and nothing ever comes out. They never contribute, they never give, they never share. Well, listen to me. If your marriage is like that, where one of the spouses is giving and giving and giving, there is a day when the spouse that does never get anything in return is going to say, that's it, I've had enough. And then the couple comes to me and the husband says, I don't know what would happen. And I'll say, it's because you have made your wife into your slave for the past number of years. You've done nothing to encourage her or to contribute to her life or vice versa. Parents are struggling with their kids and they say, I don't know what happened. I don't know why my kids hate me. I don't know why my kids treat me like this. It's because you haven't invested in them. You've ignored them. You've pursued your own pleasure. You pursued your own hobbies. You pursued your own agenda and you've left your kids out altogether and you wonder why they don't want to talk to you. You wonder why they're angry and bitter. You wonder why they're throwing temper tantrums. It's because, frankly, they're not getting anything from you. You wonder why you struggle at work and why the people at work, you're the, everybody else gets along, but you're the only one. Did you, ever maybe, did you ever think that maybe you're the problem? That maybe you're the one that hasn't been contributing and giving and sharing? You only get what you put in. And the Bible is really clear about this. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever you sow is what you're going to get. And if you're lonely today and your marriage is not what it needs to be, i got to say it's probably your fault. But it can change. That's the good news. Your life doesn't have to go on this way. If your relationship with your kids is not what it needs to be, it can change. Now, I'm going to tell you, you go home and sit with your kids and say, you know what, I just went to church and I think I'm going to spend some time with you. I want to get to know you. Well, I want to get intimate with you. You're going to freak them right out. <laughs> I'd say work your way into it slowly. But start spending time with your kids. Turn the TV off and say, hey, if you could go anywhere right now, where would you like to go? They'll say, I want to go to McDonald's. Take them. And don't say, I hate, I hate hamburgers. I hate McDonald's hamburgers. They want to go to McDonald's, shut up and go to McDonald's. Okay, pastor just told you to shut up. I can't believe that. <laughs> they want to go to McDonald's, go to McDonald's. They want to go to Earl's where the music is loud. They say, oh, it's hurting my eardrums. Suck it up. <laughs> go and spend time with your kids. Invest in them. Show them that you love them. Guys, if your wife says, uh, you know, I just want to go and spend some time together. Can we just talk? Put the newspaper down. Turn the TV off. Look her in the eyes, and she'll have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> look her in their eyes and let her talk to you. 
In fact, if you want to score some points, do it on your own without being asked. Turn the TV off, put the paper down, put the video games down, and say, honey, let's, let's just talk. And if, you ha- if you're not used to doing that, she'll get really suspicious that <laughs> something's up. <laughs> and all you're going to s- just say to her is, you know, Pastor Alan just said that I needed to do this, so let's do it. Let's, let's talk. Let's go for a walk. Let's hold hands. Hold hands? <laughs> Are you having an affair? <laughs> You need to make an effort. You need to make an investment. Start investing in the lives of the people that you know. And here's why I do it. Because I want to be a success. I want my life to be, I want to get it right. I want to have a good marriage. I want to have a good family. I want to do a good job as a pastor. That's why I make the investment. That's why I take the risk of investing in people's lives. I don't know if I'm going to get anything in return. I don't know if people are going to reject me or not. But here's the thing. The benefits far, far outweigh the risks. Your kids might slam the door in your face or your kids might say, I hate you, whatever, but don't stop. Keep investing. Keep loving them. Your marriage is on shaky ground right now. It's not too late. Start taking the time to show the person in your life how much you love them and care about them. I want to be a success. And when I'm down on my back and can't get up, I want someone there to help me up to my feet. And when I'm cold, I want somebody there to keep me warm. And when I'm under attack, I want to know there's somebody there who's got my back. Do you have someone like that in your life? Folks, I'm telling you this morning, if you want to make friends and keep them, you need to make an investment. You need to start reaching out and caring for the people in your life. You need to get intimate with people. You need to start sharing. You need to start giving. And watch the return. Let me just close with this. I just want to share a personal, a personal uh, story. Some of you know Marilyn Wedlake. She's responsible for ladies' ministries, and she's right now with, with the young teenagers over at boot camp. And uh, she, she really got to know me when I was about 16 years old. She heard I was going to Bible school, and she let me do some work on her house, pay me to, to do some drywalling, plastering. And, um, and it came time for me to be going to Bible school. And the night before I was leaving, she phoned and said, Alan, can you stop by my house for a minute before you go? And I said, well, I don't have a lot of time, but sure, I can do that. My mom didn't think I should be doing that because I needed to get ready and I didn't have time to visit. And, and you know, she was hemming my pants up. She was taking my pants in or, or taking them out. I can't remember which. Making sure that I had good, some good clothes to wear and toothbrush, toothpaste, et cetera, et cetera. I said, Mom, I got to do this. I got to Marilyn's house and uh, she says, come on here, come into this room. And there sitting... Uh, on the, on the couch was uh, a stereo for me for, for Bible school, for my room. I gotta tell you, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting anything, actually. I thought maybe she was calling me to maybe touch something up from my, my drywalling job, but there was a computer, uh, not a computer, a, a, a stereo. 
And I sat down and I started to cry. It was the bizarrest thing. Now, I get to tell you, I'm the son of a plumber. Sons of plumbers do not cry. <laughs> but there it was. I, and it, 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 it took me completely by surprise. You see, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the stereo that made me cry. <laughs> oh, a beautiful stereo. Wah! It wasn't that. No. You know what it was? It was that here's somebody who really cared about me and about my future and what I was about to, to embark in. I was about to go to Bible school. I was about to train for the ministry. And she cared enough to do that for me. It was, a, it was a, a, what I would call a supernatural or a divine moment when I experienced firsthand the joy of, a, of a, an intimate and close Christian friendship. Friends, this is, this is what God wants for all of us. Marilyn was there my first year, after the first year was done at the, at the, at the awards ceremony. I didn't know anything about Bible college. I didn't know anything about the awards or anything like that. I was at the awards ceremony, and there's one, there's one award back then. There's one award for the first-year student that was a leader, and, and, and I, I won't go on and on with all the details, but it was the only award that was really handed out for a first-year student. And, um, and she knew. She knew that I was going to win that award. And you know what? She was standing up with her camera ready to take the picture. She was so sure that I was going to win that award. And sure enough, when I was called up to receive this, the, this special award, she captured it on film because she believed in me. And she invested in my life and invested in my life. So that today, I can tell you, that this is why I'm a loyal friend to Marilyn, because of the investment she made in my life. In fact, here's what I've discovered about myself. I've discovered that I am, I am a loyal friend. Anybody who takes the time to invest in me, anybody who takes the time to be my friend, I will be their loyal friend to the bitter end, if that's what it is. But I will be their friend. And if they need anything, they know that they can call me, and Alan Duncalf will always, 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 always be there, no matter what. Because I've discovered the value and the power of close friendships. Can I ask you the question this morning? Are you a giver or a taker? Have you made the investment in someone's life? The day is going to come when you're going to need something in return. God help you if you have no one to be there for you. I, uh, I'll close with this. I, I go, to, I go to, to visit and to be with people, elderly people, who are very much alone. And the reason that they're alone is because they didn't take the time to invest in the lives of their children or the people around them. What's your, what's your future going to look like, folks? Will you have a support a support? group there? Will there be a, a net there? Or are you going to be in trouble? I pray, I pray, I pray that you have a network of close friends who will be there to hold you up in your hour of need. Let's stand together and pray.
Father, thank you this morning for the wisdom that we receive from your word. Thank you, God, for these words written by King Solomon thousands of years ago that are as, as pertinent and as timely today as they were when they were first written all those years ago. God, I pray that you would give us the courage today to invest in the lives of others. Help us, O oh God, not to be stingy. Help us to be generous. Help us, God, not to worry about the cost, but to realize that we will always, always reap far more than we sow. So help us to be generous in sowing into the lives of others, especially those closest to us, our children, our spouse, people we work with. God, we thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the rich relationships and the great friendships that I have with so many people in this church. God, I pray that there be nobody here that would leave here lonely and cold and without friendship. We pray, God, do a special work in our hearts so that we would take the steps we need to take in order to enjoy the friendship that is absolutely your idea. We pray that in your name. Amen. Would you give the person beside you a hug?